0: Hello and welcome. You're listening to Jot
1: That Down. I'm Chloe. I'm
0: Alex. And I'm Haley. And we're providing you with knowledge that you're not asking for. Hey, Jotters. This week we're talking about cults. This is an Alex Calfiore topic that she selected and we're each three going to talk about three separate cults and we hope you enjoy.
1: Well, okay, so I wanted to start this and shout out to my brother Casey. He is probably one of our biggest fans out of the three people who listen to this podcast <laughs> and he gave me a couple things. Can you hear my dog? Yep, slightly. Classic. He gave me a couple things for the podcast, and one of them are called pod decks, and it's like little conversation starters, so I'm wondering which question you guys would want to do, or maybe if I should just choose some. You would you guys prefer a would you them. rather
0: or a what the heck? Can we do a would you rather? Uh, let's yes, go. let's do would
2: you
1: rather. Okay. Would you rather have your fingers always feel sticky or your throat always feel itchy? <sighs>
0: I think my throat
1: same I
2: hmm, I feel like sticky fingers because I know that's gross but it's going to irritate me so much more if I'm constantly clearing my throat and it's itchy Depending
0: I get anytime it anytime you touch anything it's like
2: well are they actually going to be sticky like things will come off it or they'll just feel sticky
1: I don't know. Like when you got barbecue sauce on there? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. They're always just sticky, Alex. I guess you can choose what kind of stick you want. All right. Then I pick the finger sticky. That is so interesting. I personally feel like if it just, I feel like my throat's always itchy anyway. So like why? It's just like year round allergies at this point. Okay. Also this one. You don't have to answer, but I thought it was really fun. It's what would be the absolute worst name you could give your child?
0: I have to think about that. Mm -hmm. I don't know, like, actually the worst name, but I personally don't love, like, food names. Like, when celebrities name their kids, like, Apple or, like...
1: Clementine. I actually kind of like Clementine, but... Clementine's
0: cuter than Apple. But Clementine is weird to me. Like, imagine having your name on your resume and it says Clementine, like would people take you seriously? That's a fair point. Olive. Ugh. I think Olive's kind of cute. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Olivia. But it's not. <laughs> um. <clears throat> I, don't I don't really know. have
2: any. I just, my... I instantly went to, like, dictators' names. Like, mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And we don't even have to say those, because you right. know that I mean, no, no one, one has named their kid that ever since. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. I don't know if that's I accurate,
0: <laughs> but... <gasps> you think? Healy. There's definitely Adolf's out there. And Joseph's.
1: Yeah. Okay, I'm talking about Adolf. I'm not thinking about Joseph.
0: Stalin. Just to clarify, I was just just making sure you knew. Okay, Okay, so I am talking about the Symbionese Liberation Army, which is also called the SLA. And they were only active for two years from 1973 to 1975, but I'm specifically going to be covering the kidnapping of Patricia Hearst. So to give you a little bit of background, The Symbionese Liberation Army grew out of a Black inmate organization, and they were originally called the Black Cultural Association. And Berkeley students in California went to tutor inmates in a prison in California. But somehow, like, everybody that was associated with the tutoring program and the specific inmates they were tutoring turned into a black nationalist group. And so this man, Donald DeFreeze, who was an inmate at this particular jail, escaped from prison and founded the SLA. So the majority of the tutors who were involved in the program got involved in the SLA and they would do things like pretend they were police or military and, you know, rob like local joints. Um, They did murder one person, and they were only active for two years, but the most significant thing that they did was kidnap Patty Hearst. And they were a mix of upper-middle-class white students, and they were being led by a black man who had escaped from prison. So to give you a little bit of background on what happened to Patty Hearst, On February 4th, 1974, Patricia Hearst was kidnapped from her Berkeley apartment when they basically broke down her door and abducted her. And Patty Hearst's family comes from a lot of money. She was considered a socialite. She was like a very affluent white woman. She was engaged um, and she was living with her fiance who they beat up and only took her. and the way that they did it, I thought was like really crazy because this, I don't think this would happen now, but a woman came to her door and was like, Hey, my car broke down. Can I use your phone? But because it was the seventies, like nobody had cell phones and it's not like they could like call AAA. So she was like, Oh yeah, come in. And then they, two guys came in and kidnapped her and like beat the shit out of her fiance. So That's horrible. I know. Crazy. That definitely that- would
2: still happen, though. I've heard, like, horror stories of, like, women approaching other women for help mm. or mm-hmm. trying to do something. And then they would have, like, other people with them. Like, as soon as oh the woman would, like, give them an in, oh god, two men would co- – or, like, multiple men would come.
1: Well, and yeah. back then, so- like, it doesn't seem like that would be out of the ordinary because they didn't have cell phones. Like, you said, Chloe. Like, how is she supposed to know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Scary.
0: It's super scary. Um, so her kidnapping was kind of opportunistic, um, because she lived near the SLA hideout, but also like their main leverage in kidnapping her was to use the Hearst family's political influence to basically give back. So what they asked as like her, um, ransom? Yes, her ransom was $2 million worth of food for the poor people of the Bay Area, who they called people in need. So it was essentially like a class issue where like their whole thing was distributing wealth and they hated rich people and they were trying to use these Berkeley students to like educate other wealthy white people to give back. But Patty, her, her family like did not bite to the SLA. So according to Hearst, later when there was a trial, she was held for a week in a closet and blindfolded with her hands tied during which the SLA founder, Donald DeVries, um threatened her with death. She like wasn't given meals, but then they started doing this thing where she would record like little sound bites And then they would give them to the media to let the media know that she was still alive. And it did not seem like she did this willingly. But then, like, two months after she was abducted, she said that she is officially joining the SLA and is taking the name Tanya. And her family was outraged that this happened. Like, they could not believe. They thought that she had to be brainwashed or, like, have Stockholm Syndrome or something because – she would never like willingly go with them so then on april 15th after she declared that she was part of the sla this is the most famous thing associated with this kidnapping is the bank robbery that patty Hearst was in and took like fully participated in so there's all this surveillance of her robbing a district bank somewhere in San Francisco and she's yelling i'm tanya i'm tanya motherfuckers i'm tanya get up get up and then two men entered the bank while the robbing happened and according to the testimony at her trial a witness thought that like she f- for sure was there but also that she managed to get in the getaway car so when the police came she didn't get in trouble but everybody saw it on the news and was like oh my god it's patty hurst like affluent white woman she didn't really get involved in anything else aside from that she was then taken to trial um she sorry what so at this point are they just
1: stopping like pursuing a kidnapping charge because they they're like okay she is
0: now willingly staying like so it's sort of confusing i listened to a podcast Stuff You Missed in History class because they did an episode about this. Mm -hmm. And so I was, like, trying to figure out, like, what the fuck is happening. It kind of sounds like her parents did not want to give in to the SLA. Like, they didn't give in to any of the the demands. Like, they didn't want to pay, like, her ransom. Mm -hmm. And then it seemed like she was there willingly. But then later when she's free, she's like, oh, yeah, like, that was crazy. So it's kind of hard to tell if she was, like, legitimately brainwashed. It's very confusing to me. Yeah, that's so Um, weird.
2: Because, like, either she did it as, like, a means of survival and just trying to get by, or she really was into it and just wanted to get off scot-free. Well, so I
0: kind of think – I personally think it's the second one. Um, (laughs) Like, I think it's kind of a rebellion against her privilege – But like, what the heck do I know? Although it's important to note that she releases a statement that she was proud of her actions in the robbery and that she was not brainwashed. And then Hmm. goes on to call her fiance a sexist pig. Um, Later, the LA Police Department, like they've had it with this group, they like can't take it anymore. And they find six of these members and on live TV, on national television, there is a shootout where the L.A. police kill all six <gasps> of the members on TV. Patty Hurst was not one of them. Um, and then she, like, falls in love with a member Why SLA. So messy.
2: Her Wait, mom, what?
0: Yeah. Her mom goes <laughs> on the news and says that Patty is still the victim and her psychology is being controlled by terrorists because – that's what her mom calls them. Um, and sh- her mom continues to use that language like in the trial. And then it goes like a little bit quiet until the Los Angeles police find pipe bombs under their car. And so then the police decide to press charges. Um, and the trial begins in April of 1976. Um, where Patty's mom continues to say that she was a victim and she was drugged and brainwashed and controlled. But at the time, I thought this was interesting. There was no, like, science behind brainwashing or drugging. So, like, the jury did not believe it because there was no proof and no doctor could, like, properly explain it, which I found interesting because, like, today I feel like any jury would be like, Oh yeah, she was
1: brainwashed. You know what I mean? And that's like, I think the basis for a ton of trials dealing with like cults or manipulation or anything like that and everyone gets it.
0: Oh, for sure. Um, Yeah. I don't know. But What the <clears throat> fuck? So she's arrested in 1975 in San Francisco with another member of the SLA and um, while being booked in jail, she lists her she lists her occupation as urban gorilla and is asked – she asks her attorney to relay the message that, quote, tell everybody I'm still smiling and that I feel strong and send my greetings and love to all my brothers and sisters out there, which is super weird. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so then later in 1975, after more than 19 months with the SLA, the, the – she is captured by the FBI, and in the spring of 1976, she is convicted of bank robbery and sentenced to 35 years in prison, where she only then serves two years um, in 1970 uh, until 1979 because President Carter um, commutes her from her prison term. Wow. Okay. I know. It's a lot to
1: digest. Well, because I'm like – I'm just wondering, okay, was she somehow in on this the whole time? I don't know. Or if she wasn't, why isn't anyone helping her? Like, she clearly – it sounds like Stockholm Syndrome, just like you said. Like, why isn't anyone help? like, in 35 years, I know she only served – what did you say, two of them? Yes. But, like, she is. very much sounds like a victim. Um, but now I don't know what to think.
0: So I will – Just read this last note that I have about brainwashing claims. So at the time of her arrest in 1975, she had dropped to 87 pounds and was described as zombie-like effect with low IQ by Dr. Margaret Singer. And then shortly after that, there were signs of trauma that were recorded, like her IQ was measured. I don't know how IQ tests work, but I guess Mm – Previously, it had been one thirty, and after her kidnapping, it was 112. Um, She had a lot of gaps in memory regarding her pre-Tanya life, and she was smoking heavily, had lots of nightmares, and just like overall was described as like uneasy and unsettled. Um, so a psychologist and professor at UCAL LA or UC, UCLA is it called it in California Um, <laughs> said that she should be released from prison and like, she shouldn't be in there at all. Like mentally she's not able to do it. And then later, like way later in her life after she got out of jail in 1982, she wrote a memoir called every secret thing. And she talks about her time in the SLA, but like, doesn't go into detail about like why or how it affected her. It's super weird to me because, like, a the cult only existed for like two years, and they kidnapped this like super important woman, and now she's like out there living her life like it never happened, right? A lot yeah, of things are not I don't know. That's probably sense. like a coping
1: mechanism, though.
2: I
0: feel like I would do the same thing, like never talk about it. It's like the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Okay. Oh, yeah.
1: That's actually, that's fair. But like, so I had to Google her because I I knew it sounded familiar once you said it. And like, so she's just a normal person now? Like it said she's been in movies. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: like what?
1: Yeah. An actress. Like, I'm so confused. I know. And she okay. had kids and she was married.
0: Like what is happening? Yeah. It's- um, crazy to me, not crazy because like she's living life. It's just crazy to me that like, I didn't know that this happened mm-hmm. or that this like existed, the SLA. Yeah.
2: That's wild. i
0: I know. I feel, wow. I feel uh-huh.
2: educated to say the I'm least. I'm trying to think, I know this is like, might be bad, but I like, I'm trying to think what I would do in that situation. Like, would I participate in a bank robbery? That's crazy. But she must have been in such, a, like, an altered mental state.
0: Well, I kind of think, mm-hmm. like, if your life is being threatened, like, you would do whatever they told you. Right.
1: But and maybe that was a way for her to, like, somehow get closer to the authorities. Like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know maybe she was hoping she would get caught and – I don't
2: know. But then, like, assuming an- – a completely different uh, persona that's, oh, like, that yeah, she's that's like true. Tanya.
1: It's like odd. That's so odd. Wow, it really is. I feel bad for her. I want to say that she was completely manipulated. Ooh, is there any like general public opinion on this? Like, I don't know. Very, very confused by all of it. But this is really interesting. Yeah.
2: I'm surprised and interesting! It only
1: that. lasted two years. Same.
2: Is there a movie about it? I feel like there would be.
1: I don't know. Let me. It says there's a Patty Hearst movie, but I don't know if that has to do with them. Okay. Who would like to go next? I
2: can go. Take okay. it away, Alex.
1: Okie dokie. So
2: I am talking about the Rajneesh cult. There, I'm trying to find like an actual name for them but basically i think they're just kind of referred to as the rajneesh movement so it began in india um and it was started by an indian mystic who went by the name bhagwan shri rajneesh just three words so bhagwan i'll refer to him as that and then the people his followers took like his last name so they're like Rajnishis. confusing okay so it was a spiritual movement that was created in the 1970s in India. His first followers were called sannyasins, and he began initiating a couple of them in 1971. And then by 1972, he had initiated 3,800 of these sannyasins, or his followers, in India, and then 134 oh my God. in the rest of the world. So the movement consisted of... Meditation camps, lectures, and like private individual meetings where he would meet with people one on one, like members that were wealthy. And that's basically like how he funded his life and created this movement. In 1974, he purchased a house in India and this became an ashram, which is basically like a center for the entire movement and like a place for members to congregate and like go on like a spiritual pilgrimage and end up there and then spend time there Hmm. and then people would also leave their lives and live there like full time and like bring their whole family and stuff so the concept of the rajneesh movement was eastern mysticism western philosophy and free love and they basically wanted to create a utopia, just, like, a perfect life. And the free love was, like, a big emphasis was on that. He basically, like, created an idea of sexual liberation. And the followers would, like, participate in group sex orgies in the ashram. And just, like, sexually promiscuous behavior that they probably wouldn't do in their regular lives and like whole family units would move to the ashram to be part of this movement and they would in turn like have multiple sexual partners to like the couple that comes in there together like is broken apart and then there's like no pair bonding between people so like they're less likely to leave and they're more likely to stay in the group mentality and also they would bring their children which like they weren't involved at all in like the sexual things but they would basically just be like left to their own devices in these bamboo huts and they barely had any school And stuff like that, which kind of like reminded me of Scientology. Um, because like one person said that they left the um the movement or like the cult basically and they could barely read, they could barely do any math, and they were like teenagers at that point. So the participation in the free love and like sexual liberation was under the guise of like they had the motto say yes to life. So basically, anytime. Someone would want to coerce them into having sex or like participating in this. If like there was any hesitation, they'd be like, Well, you're not saying yes to life. You have to say yes to life. You're not living your life, whatever. And then if they did not want to and they resisted it, there would be psychological and violent repercussions. So there were some issues, obviously, in within the commune and also the locals. That weren't involved in the commune, but just like lived near this place in India, opposed all that was happening there, as well as the Indian government. And the Bhagwan had attempted to buy a larger compound on more land, but because the government didn't like what they were doing, they opposed the acquisition of bigger land and a larger compound. And there's also some tax issues that began in 1974. So in 1981, the Bhagwan decided to leave India. And he had a personal secretary who becomes important to this story. Um, Her name is Ma Anand Sheila, but I'll just call her Sheila for it to be easier. So Sheila had bought 64,000 acres of land in Oregon that was purchased by her husband, Mark Harris Silverman. I don't know who he was, but he was clearly rich if he could buy 64,000 acres of land. So in 1981, they relocated the movement to Oregon near the town of Antelope. So they bought it in like May of 1981, and then the Bhagwan relocated there in June of 1981. So the town of Antelope... The way, Basically, it's like a huge ranch right nearby this town of Antelope, and the town of Antelope at the time had 60 people. The Rajneesh followers that went from India to America and also just came from other parts of the world to live on this ranch, they came in, and in three years, they had 7,000 people in this community right next to this town of 60 people. So, like, the 60 people in this town were like, what the fuck is happening? What's going on? And all the Rajneesh followers all wore, like, orange and red robes. So it was just, like, this massive influx of all these people that they didn't know because, obviously, like, if you're in such a small town, like, you know everyone, but now there's just, like, all these people coming in. They're all wearing red robes and you're just wondering, like, what the fuck is happening?
0: I have a Clarifying question. Okay. So, what do all of these 7,000 people that come to Oregon like? Mm-hmm. What are they like promised? Like, what's the incentive to move there? Right. Okay. So, it doesn't,
2: it's not like 7,000 all at once. Like, there's definitely like an influx here and then probably like peaks of people coming in, and it's over a couple of years. um So, it's about 7,000. And at some points, Like, there's so many different numbers. They don't know exactly how many people lived here. But basically, they're promised, like, this utopia where you're just, like, free to live and, like, be spiritual. And, like, it's – I think they, like, kind of package the movement as an addition to any religion. Like, it's not opposing a religion. It's just, like, an add-on to be, like, more, like, mystical and spiritual. And – I'm not really sure other than that, but,
1: like, it's just, like, a like a blissful life, like, supposedly. I also have a question. So okay. it's a six, 7,000 people. They're living on, like, how much land? 64,000 acres of land. Oh, my God. So Is that enough, Haley? <laughs> <laughs> like, so, so they created, like, their own town, essentially. Yes. So basically, like, all the
2: people in the movement... Also, worked for the movement and like mm-hmm. worked to build up the community. So, they built a fire department, a police station. Oh, my all god, restaurants, malls, an entire airstrip for like planes, a public transportation system with buses, a sewage plant, a man made reservoir, and a post office. So, they have their own zip code. So, this was like wasn't there and then they came and then they just like built up this entire community and they all just all the members lived and worked in this settlement and they called it
1: rajneesh puram which (laughs) like how the hell did they because i'm really thinking of them like colonizers essentially because they are trying to start from scratch Mm -hmm. what the hell and they all just had like people who were able to do all of these things
2: Yeah, and then people would just, like, get jobs within the community because then you would need people to, like, staff those different Mm -hmm. things that they created. Wow. And at this time, they also created a religion-ish thing. So, Sheila was the big proponent of creating this Rajneeshism, which is a religion just created on, like, the teachings and whatnot of the Bhagwan. Um, but also when the Bhagwan came from India to America, he took a vow of silence and he was also trying to like, I think he had some like back issues. So he had medical issues that he was trying to repair. So he like decided to take a vow of silence. So Sheila really took over and called all the shots and was like his spokesperson because he obviously wasn't speaking
1: like did he like write stuff down like how she's supposed to yeah be i think well he,
2: so he had been giving lectures and whatnot like leading up to this for probably lecture. like 20 years no <laughs> <laughs> he, he took the vow of silence in 1981 and he had started this in 1971 but prior oh, to okay. that he was even doing like philosophy lectures and things like that so they definitely had stuff written down and then they like created books based on this religion rajneeshism it's all very confusing Mm -hmm. but so at this time sheila was manning the entire community and i don't know organizing everything and this is when tension began between the rajneeshis and the inhabitants of antelope oregon so antelope oregon the town with 60 people they were not impressed or happy with this and then also wasco county which is the county that rajneesh param and antelope are in um they were not happy with this either and they denied them a bunch of permits to like build even more things in the town Um, because the Rajneeshis were basically trying to like take over the entire county. And this was all like Sheila's doing. And it's kind of confusing because it really seems like Sheila's the villain and like the people in Rajneesh Param, like in the town that are like building up the community and just like trying to live in this utopia. Like I don't know how much they're involved in this or how much they're in it just like really for the spiritual aspect But Sheila, the spokesperson, the secretary, the whatnot, she definitely has like a group of people that do whatever she wants. So in order to take over the county, they tried a couple of different things to basically get more votes to vote their own people into like positions of power within the county. So they attempted to increase their population by busing in 2,000 homeless people from, like, I think, like, California, probably other parts of Oregon. And they basically bussed them into the compound, and it didn't work because they still were not allowed to vote. Eventually, like, the homeless people got, like, kind of out of order. And it's really sad, but they basically, I think I remember in... The documentary that I watched is a docu-series on Netflix called Wild Wild Country. I forgot to give a spoiler alert, but (laughs) here we are. So they basically would like give the homeless people beer, I think, and they would drug the beer with like sedatives to make it so that like the homeless people that they literally brought in and bust in and now we're stuck in this town to make them like more relaxed and not as out of order as they were so that's fucked up. That is horrifying. And I think they eventually like got out, but I don't I don't even know how.
1: Well, that's the thing um, cuz they target people who don't have anywhere to go. Right. And yeah. who aren't having people look out for them and they're very vulnerable. Yeah, that's
2: literally horrible. just like helpless people that like were promised they were probably promised shelter and food and a better life and they were just screwed over. They also tried to get more votes by doing sham marriages and immigration fraud and bringing people in and marrying them if they were like U.S. citizens so then they could vote in the local elections. And that didn't really work um, because the U.S. attorney for the District of Oregon was aware of this and was investigating the immigration fraud and the sham marriages. And then Sheila and her cronies had plotted to assassinate him yeah mm-hmm. oh god. another crazy thing that they did was they went to local salad bars oh god with oh no i'm nervous with this like sauce or like salsa that they had it was basically no. poison they poisoned the salad bars and got, like, 750 people from the local communities in Oregon, not part of Rajneesh Param, but, like, outside of them. Um, in Wasco County, they got 750 people sick with salmonella mm. from tainting the salad bars. And this, in turn, hospitalized 45 people. Luckily, no one died, but, like, they could have. Christ. All to like stir up some stuff and get more votes. Do they don't understand Awful. how like
1: the law works though, because like they think the biggest problem is the town. Just wait until you like try to hurt people of the town and then you get the federal yeah. government. Like, what? Yeah. Do they um, think it was just gonna like go away? Probably. Oh I,
2: yeah, I don't know. And there was also a case of wiretapping. So any of the calls that came in and out of Rashnish Param were um, intercepted and recorded starting in 1985. And when this was discovered, it is said to be the longest wiretapping operation ever uncovered because Sheila was just like, spying on everyone basically oh my God. wait so how long
1: did it do they mean like it lasted for like a long time um well so it lasted
2: from 1985 ish to no it it was basically like less than a year but still like there was so much wiretapping going on um and like so many calls and I mean, maybe they're – I think that, like, usually wiretapping stints are, like, shorter in time. I don't know. And also in 1985, the Bhagwan stopped his vow of silence, so he started talking again. Mm. How convenient. (laughs) See, that's the thing, though. Like, I don't know his involvement in this at all. She really took the reins and, like, went crazy, and I don't know – if that was ever his intention, because he did speak out about her. Um oh. So in September of 1985, Sheila and other top officials in the commune fled the community, because obviously they did a bunch of illegal stuff, and the Bhagwan held press conferences and, like, invited the local law enforcement to come, or, like, probably the FBI, too, to come to the community to investigate because obviously he was aware of like the illegal acts that Sheila was doing. Um, So he pleaded guilty to immigration violations and he was fined like $400,000 and was ordered to leave the U S and he couldn't return for five years. So he left and he went to India and lived in the Himalayas and destroyed everything that was Rajneeshism related, so like any of the books that they had about the religion or anything that like Sheila influenced at all, they just like burned it all. He lived in the Himalayas until he died in 1990. Sheila, in 1986, pleaded guilty to attempted murder of the... I probably the um, attorney in Oregon and assault and was sentenced to 20 years she was paroled for good behavior after 39 months and then moved to switzerland and then she got married and purchased two nursing homes no 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 and that was just like living a life with the nursing homes. Oh no, no, in no. In 1999, she was convicted in Switzerland in relation to the plot to kill the US attorney. Like more charges came up regarding that, but they refused to extradite her to the US, so they just tried Nothing her in Switzerland her. and found her guilty. But she just served her time and now she's free and just like living in Switzerland and just doing her thing. Um the original ashram in India, like that first house that he purchased for the movement still exists, and you can visit it if you would like. The movement, like the people in Oregon dispersed, and the ranch on the 64,000 acres was sold to some like Christian camp or something. Oh, God, it's odd. Um, but the teachings of the Bhagwan, who is now called and referred to by uh, the name Osho still live on, and you can go to the Osho International Meditation Resort in India. No, thanks. I and so that I'm is curious, the like, Rajneesh movement.
1: I, do you think there's anything left in, like, their little commune? Or do you think they all just, like, tore it down?
2: No, I feel like the facilities and stuff are probably still there.
1: and being used I I don't want to purchase anything of theirs
0: (laughs) fair that so many things about that upset me but the end reminds me of the I care about whatever that movie was I care a lot yeah Mm -hmm. about like conning elderly people and that woman should not own nursing homes.
1: Right. Yeah. Because if she was a fucking cult leader, what is she going to do? That's horrible. She not an I assistant cult leader, first of all. Oh yeah. I <laughs> have a qualm about the that cult too. <laughs> <laughs> assistant to the cult leader. I have a qualm about that because like who is to say that he didn't just talk to her in private? Like, and also if he like Once he left, he threw away all of her stuff, whatever. Why wouldn't he stand up to her when all this was happening? He was, like, the face of the cult. I don't know. I think he was definitely complicit in things that she would do. Yeah. that. I feel like that makes the most sense that he wasn't completely in the dark about it, like, the entire time it was happening. Right. Unless he decided his vow of silence was, like, blocking his ears and eyes. (laughs) to everything that was happening. Like, he knows what's going on. True. He sure does. He Mm. sure do. Yeah, but
2: there's definitely other things that I missed, um, but the documentary does a really good job going into detail about it, um, and it's very fascinating. So I would suggest that.
1: Someone did tell me a while ago to watch it, and I thought it was just going to be, like, a fun, like – Wild Wild <laughs> West thing.
0: Would I don't find Haley. I thought it was. I thought it'd be fun. It's not. Fun. All right, Hales, take
1: it away. Anywho, <laughs> so what I chose to research is the cult Nexium. I had no idea that's how it was pronounced because it's spelled N V I X M in all caps, but it's Nexium. Is that Latin or something? I don't really. Or know. is it
2: N? X
1: I V M. Oh Oh. F, 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 I, I think that. Yeah, that's totally makes more it. N X, X I V M. It's so hard when it's just
0: letters. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, I clearly didn't take Latin.
1: Anyway. <laughs> Actually I took Latin for like a year, but
0: <laughs> <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so a little background to this is <sighs> the two main people who started this cult, and it, and it definitely is a cult, but it was just, it was essentially like an organization that lasted for decades, but it was secretly a cult. And I think only the people involved knew the inner workings of it because it was essentially a front for like this huge, successful, I'm going to be using a lot of air quotes when I'm talking about this, successful in air quotes, <laughs> self-help in air quotes organization. Um, so in 1998, Keith Renier and Nancy Salzman Um, She was a psychiatric nurse. I think he just had a history of, like, doing weird pyramid schemes. I had no idea what he did before this. But they founded Nexium, a self-help organization in Albany, New York. Since this was created, around 18,000 people have taken the courses in the U.S., Mexico, and Canada. It's, like, it's so strange because it really intertwines with Hollywood and, like, these big organizations because it's about, like – finding fulfillment and like helping yourself and it's completely a front because he's just, he's a brainwasher. But in 2017, this successful company had gotten several reports to like federal investigators of New York state from former members saying like, you would not believe like what the hell is going on here. And Keith Renier was accused of, sexual manipulation, like torture, assault, racketeering, whatever racketeering is, um like all of these things by former members because they were obviously involved and once the state started looking into it, they found about they found out about like all of this horrible stuff that was going on within this group. So, one of the things that was being investigated of this group was actually something they found out. It was, like, a subgroup of the organization, and it was called the VOW, or they called it DOS, which is actually an acronym for a phrase that translates in Latin, by the way, to Lord Master of the Obedient Female Companions. And within this, like, inner working, it essentially was a pyramid scheme, and Rainier would force these, like, females to find other females that he could then sexually abuse and use his power to manipulate them. And within this group, these women were like assigned to be submissive and have sex with Rainier. And they were essentially, they were called slaves like, and the masters were other women that like Rainier had hired to like find these women. It's it's essentially like a huge sex trafficking ring, whatever it is. Um, and all the while it was called like a female empowerment group for people who were being recruited in, but it obviously wasn't that. And something that came up was that the state had to look into was women were actually being branded with like the Nexium symbols. Yeah. And I, I don't know if one woman said this, but someone, there were like 15 witnesses on the stand or 15 former members and they were talking about it. And she's like, I never once gave permission for this to happen, like, this is not what I signed up for. But he had so much against them because before you could join this group, you had to give up collateral on yourself in case you decided to report any of what was going on. So whether that was nude photos of yourselves, embarrassing stories, or facts about yourself that he could use against you, he would. Yep.
0: Yep. This sounds um, very much like the Trump administration. Mm hmm Mm. (laughs) If anyone wants to leave, he just like would release all of the secrets that he had on them.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And then I really think they had to get a band of women together to report all of these because I think you had to show like these other women like, hey, if he has embarrassing stuff on all of us, like we just have to do it because it's never going to end. Like he started this in 1998 and this was only started – started being investigated in 2017. So you can imagine all of the horrible things that was going on. And what's horrible about it is that like he would receive like all of this financial backing from like white women, successful white women, like people in Hollywood were involved. I think two heiresses to the Seagrams, Seagrams. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Not the ginger ale. Oh, shoot. Uh, I was just thinking no. of the wine coolers. Yeah, the wine coolers. Oh, my God. What's what's the ginger ale? Is that similar? Isn't Seagram's ginger ale also? I don't know. I never drink Seagram's. No. You yeah. might have to Google that and check. It is, is it Seagram's? Do they, yes. Is it also by them? Because it just says Seagram's liquor fortune, but it might be them if they have ginger ale. He got all these successful women to back him. Another woman who was one of the masters in air quotes within the subgroup was actually a former actress. She was in the show Smallville. Her name is Allison it. Mack. I never watched it, but her face was familiar. Yeah. Um, and I think by having these some like seemingly successful women running these, I think that's how they were able to keep a sex trafficking ring and like manipulate these women into joining. So yeah, it's really weird because like everyone supported this. Like I found out that since it's like a self-help empowerment thing, like one of, it says a requirement to get like U.S. citizenship from Mexico, you had to like take these courses. Like it's a very, like, it's just so strange. Like immigrants literally needed to take these exam courses in order to like get their legal status. I'm just so confused by it all, and he was doing all of this stuff behind. I just I can't I can't. So I
2: know about this from the the vow, which is the HBO docu series that mm-hmm. goes into this. I have not seen it, but it's very good. It- It's, like, kind of not the best done docuseries, but it's, like, very interesting. Obviously, all the information that you're talking about. But one of the craziest things was that, like, Keith is the head of basically, like, this pyramid scheme of, like, masters and slaves and, like, Mm -hmm. women. But, like, the women that were being brought in were being brought in by, like, people they trusted and women they trusted. And they didn't know that
1: Keith was involved at all in this. Yes,
2: and then they they were
1: just and then they were forced to have sex with him, like he had plenty- like he had so many women who were forced into sexual relationships with him,
2: yeah, that's disgusting. He had like um multiple girlfriends at one time that like knew about each other, and then there was like all the other women that he must have been sleeping with that's just it's and wonderful. also one more thing that was crazy about the brand mm-hmm. was that. So they told them that it was, like, a mountain, like, all these, like, elements yes. of whatever. But if you turned it, it was, like, K-R for Keith Raniere. And if you mm-hmm. turned it a different way, it was A-M
1: for Allison Mack. I, I cannot. I remember hearing about that a long time ago when that first came out, and I completely forgot about it until you said yeah. I, just, I I can't. And it's like, right, I think they would do it near, like, their pelvis. Like, a very intimate part of yeah. themselves. And they and were, they like, would, forced like, into it.
2: Yeah, and they were, like, held down
0: to do it. That is horrible.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: <sighs> and they did that willingly? They like, – They wanted to be branded
1: with it? No, like, they were forced into the branding, the sexual manipulation – sex trafficking and stuff like that, I think they probably felt like they had no choice because they had given up that collateral on their lives. Mm. And like Alex said, they were brought in by people who they had trusted. Right.
2: Yeah. So, and then, like, if there was any hesitation, like, the person would just coerce them into going through with it and, like, manipulate them. Like Mm Kaylee said, it's really sad.
1: It's just, it's horrible. And, like... All of these women – I think there were 15 women who gave their testimonies, and, like, one girl was talking about how she had been sexually abused from him since she was 15, and their, like, whole thing had lasted 12 years, and he managed to, like, weasel his way in to these women's lives, and it was crazy because she was like, yep, he was 45. I was abused since she was, like, 15, and he had sexual relations with both of her sisters. And I think one of them ended up having a child with him. Like he literally oh. manipulated an entire family. Gross.
2: Mm-hmm. My gosh. Yeah. And um, also
1: like oh sorry, Alex. No, go ahead. Those I'm just years talk about someone else that's in there, but I'll say it after. Um, no, it's just the years like she was talking about she was coerced into like sexual things and obedience and she had to maintain a weight under a hundred pounds and she even was forced to have an abortion at one point and it's Mm -hmm. just it's horrible
2: my gosh i can't imagine Mm -mm. the the slaves like the people that were brought in by like other women they had to text their master like permission to do anything before they did it
0: isn't that crazy that is horrible. horrible. And that kind just, of like, reminds me of um, when we watched the R. Kelly stuff. Oh,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Like how they would need permission to, like, go anywhere or do anything. Yeah. So sad. I'm, like, so
2: against, like, all your instincts. And somehow they're, like, able to suppress that and just, like, make you do things that, like, why would you ever do that?
1: Mm-hmm. And for him to, like, be doing this for 20 years and, like, he's, like, the figurehead for this super successful company. It's crazy. And, like, that's that's obviously – and these women probably felt, like, powerless because how are you going to sue someone that everyone's obsessed with? Like, people idolized him.
0: Mm I need
1: to see what he looks like. He's so fucking creepy. It's shocking. He's so (laughs) creepy. Um, Also something else that I was learning um, when he was being investigated, he tried to spearhead this, um, like, I don't know what it is, this movement to have his supporters, like try to help him not be convicted. And he literally tried to make a podcast and he would try to like find holes in the prosecutor's. Um, Ew! What? Whatever this is it is, what he looks like? Yeah, he's mm-hmm. disgusting. He was, <laughs> yeah, he was offering up a twenty five thousand cash prize to see if anyone could get him not convicted for all the shit he did. And one of the <laughs> Seagrams' heiresses literally put like so much money into supporting him, and she even tried to like go after the authorities themselves.
0: Also, yes, Seagram's does make tonic, ginger ale, certain sodas, and then alcohol. That is. So I'm upset.
1: Mm -hmm. Um,
2: The other famous person that was in it is the the princess, some royal family of Yugoslavia. What? Her daughter is Catherine (gasps) Oxenberg. Oh my God, yes. Dynasty. Yep and her and her daughter India went to like an esp like a nexium class whatever and then India stayed in it for like years on end mm-hmm. and, was and like, she
1: was abused by him too right yeah i think that's what i read that is just so insane because like hollywood was so involved in this yeah it's and people were saying like once you were in it it could be hard I don't know how it ties together with, like, being part of the organization versus, like, the subgroup. But people would say, like, they would literally go into bankruptcy because they felt like they had to, take, like, keep taking the classes. Mm-hmm. And, like, some people would be like, oh, it's it's not that bad, whatever. And then some people would be, like, forced to continue to support him. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I do, I and that. what are those, like, there's different levels, right, where they would get, like, um like – I don't think they're called—they're not scarves, but they're basically like different colored things that you wear. Oh, I, I do like go up levels. Um, but also in the documentary, there were a couple of instances where people left, and they like inundated them with lawsuits mm-hmm. and like drove them into the ground, like financially. Yeah. Um, by just like suing the shit out of them, which is so sad. Um, also. <laughs> to give you an idea like the entire docuseries they keep going they keep showing clips of them playing volleyball because he like loved to play volleyball i don't know it was like a thing that keith loved to do and this is like their fearless leader ew
1: yeah for the audience he's in a tie-dye t-shirt and a bandana is wrapped around his forehead (laughs) and he looks like he's He's showered in like 10 days
2: it's if you I just literally hate Google that Keith so Ranieri much volleyball you will get so many things pop up saying. and you'll be like how the fuck did this guy create a cult I fucking hate that
1: so much <laughs> oh my god <laughs> um so essentially also just to like wrap this up all of them I think pleaded guilty Nancy Allison Claire, like the heiress to Seagram's, I don't know if Reneer did because he, it, someone said like the trial was a lot of back and forth between him apologizing and him blaming the women. I don't know what he did. It was a six, six week trial, but I do know that he literally got sentenced to 120 years in prison and I think he had to pay a fine or whatever it was. Um, Good. Yeah. It's just fucking horrible. Like he was subjecting these women to horrible things for like 20 years. That is terrible. Mm-hmm. Like, he fled to Mexico at one point. That's and had to where he get got him. arrested. <laughs>
2: That's where he got arrested. Ugh. <laughs> uh, trash. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, my gosh. Such trash. Glad it's over for those women. Same. Can you believe, though? I was just shocked. I never watched Smallville. I just, like, I think I was too young for it. But, like, for him to do all of this and to – pull these women to then traffic other women. It's, it's horrible for anyone to do it, but it pisses me off, especially that he got women to do this to other women. Like, how could you ever betray your people like that? I don't know.
0: It's a good question. I don't know.
1: (sighs) Anyway, Anyway. anyway, I feel like that was a downer. That's okay. Colts usually
0: are. hmm Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Jot That Down. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at That's Jot That Down Pod. That's J O T That Down P O D. My mom called me yesterday and was oh like, God. she was like, um, she was like, "Someone jot that down. Your voice sounds like a valley girl." And I was like, that's just my normal voice. She was like, I know, but maybe like act more tone like a 27 down. year old. <laughs> oh, my like, oh my God. I was like, oh, that's just my voice. But thanks mom. Thank you so much. <laughs> that's so funny.
2: She's like, Could uh, you just like, mm, I don't know, tone it down a bit? <laughs>
1: I raised you better. It's right not now. called tone it down. It's called <laughs> jot that oh. down.